This is the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. We exist to help all kinds of people find and follow Jesus. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Well, good morning. I'm going to climb up here and probably not fall. Possibly not fall. My standing made some people nervous last week. Uh, be honest, I was nervous at times, so uh, I'll try and sit this time. And the leg looks weird here, but don't worry, it's nice and relaxed on this, uh, on this brace that the hospital sold me for $1,000. So um, this last week, Sharon was out of town most of the week. Um, she went back to see her mom, bring some things back from Texas to Georgia. Um, I assured her I could do it just fine. I appreciate all of you who helped. So uh, Friday morning, I decided to take uh, our twin three-year-olds that we have to uh, Chick-fil-A, go through the drive-thru, a little victory celebration uh, for having made it to the day of her blessed return. And uh, they wanted the windows down. It was a pretty morning, so we rolled the windows down and Pulled up there to order, rolled my window down. The lady came up to take my order, and uh, Zeke, one of our twins, was sitting behind me with his window down again, and he said, uh, hi. She said, well, hello. And he said, why is your belly so big? <laughs> it's so big. <laughs> so, I just said, what can you say? I'm my bad, you know. Um, kids will do it to you every time, right? They are uh, truth tellers when they want to be. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue our series through the book of Colossians, allowing uh, the Spirit of God to do what only the Spirit of God can do in the life of His people, uh, both in our lives individually uh, and in our life collectively as the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, we've been in chapter one, and we will remain in chapter one for a while. This morning, in just a minute, we'll pick up with verse nine. We've done verses one through eight. Uh, we'll be in nine through 12 this morning. Um, I watched an interview this week with the president of Finland. Uh, as he was talking about the war in Ukraine now uh, and Finland, uh, as well as some other Nordic countries' uh, potential uh, desire to join uh, NATO. I watched that, and among other things, I thought, wow, this must be very serious because the Nordic countries roll over faster, um, so fast they give themselves vertigo when war breaks out. So um, they're, they're very serious um, about being propped up uh, and part of security. But one of the things that he said uh, really caught my attention. Uh, when they asked him what he thought about this, he said, you know what, I, I'm just stunned. I'm, I'm in shocked disbelief that something like this could happen in 2022. Can I tell you, friends, that is pure enlightenment thinking. This idea that came out of the enlightenment that somehow the acquisition of knowledge, growth in knowledge and intelligence, uh, and what we would uh, today call technological advancement is somehow going to lead uh, to a sort of um, human utopia uh, where we all love one another, uh, dance together, and, and just eat dessert. Uh, that the folly and brokenness, violence and anger, darkness and sin that has plagued uh, the human race since the fall of humanity recorded in Genesis chapter three is somehow not going to continue because we're learning a lot more. 
uh, some of you in this church this morning and some of you watching now online are old enough to have memories of World War II where two of the most intellectually advanced and educated societies of the mid-20th century, Germany and Japan, unleashed a global war like the world had never seen. But I have heard this, and I know you have heard this, over and over and over if you've been following the news. Just how could this happen in our day? How could this happen? We have TikTok now. You know, people dancing while they're recording the war. How could this happen? Let me tell you how it happens because we are broken, sinful, violent, dark creatures apart from the goodness of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no end to the amount of power that the principalities and powers of darkness lay on the human psyche when he is in power. There has always been a clash, a cosmic clash since the fall, though not equal in power, between the goodness of God and the evil of those principalities and powers of darkness that God will one day put a clean and clear into forever. But that is mirrored in a way in the human existence that we find ourselves in. We see this very clearly being displayed on our televisions day in and day out now on social media as we continue to watch um, the war in Ukraine. Knowledge itself doesn't do a lot for us but make us smarter with regard to knowledge. Uh, and let us not confuse knowledge with wisdom. Paul doesn't do that. We'll see that in just a minute. Never confuse a Google search with what you can learn from people who've lived decades longer than you can or you have. There are some things that come only through experience. But there is a kind of godly knowledge that you and I are called to. God does not want his people to be ignorant or cold. Either one. God calls us to walk in knowledge. Getting through to the intellect, us growing in our knowledge of God and Christ was at the very center of Paul's ministry. It's what God calls us to, and it is what leads us into the life that he's carved out for us. Let's look this morning at verses 9 through 12. Verses nine through 12. So you and I may not be as the Colossians were in their day, being blown here and there by all kinds of different voices uh, that were ultimately, the apostle Paul would say, rooted in the traditions of men, not the knowledge of God. Verse nine. For this reason, Paul writes, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Let me pray for us before we go back, and we're really gonna anchor ourselves this morning in verses nine and 10. I'll say a word about the whole passage, uh, but we're going to stay uh, pretty close this morning uh, with what God has to say to us from verses nine and 10. But let me pray for us before we jump 
uh, more deeply into the text. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this moment to gather in your presence. Together as brothers and sisters in Christ. God, together with those among us who aren't quite sure yet. God, they're not sure what they think about you, whether or not they trust you, what they believe about the church based on what they have seen from the church. God, I pray that your presence would fill this space right now. Holy Spirit, do the work that you do when your people gather under your word for the glory of God and for our joy. Move and stir in us, do in us what cannot be done by human effort or human gifting or human inclination. And God, we lift up to you this morning and place before you our brothers and sisters in Christ, in Ukraine, in Russia, in Romania, in Poland, and the other countries surrounding this war-torn area. God, be near to them. Guide them. Allow them to be faithful image bearers of you. Give them strength. Protect them. Empower them to continue to do the work of your kingdom, which is eternal. It cannot be stopped by an invasion. And God, I pray that your winds of justice would, bro, would blow across this situation, God, and you would vanquish the invaders. Lord, that you would bring down Putin. May it be so in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's look back again at what the Apostle Paul says here. He starts out in verse nine and he says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. And what Paul here is saying is because of the report that we have received about the gospel taking root in your life and changing you, because of what we've heard about both your faith in God and your love for one another for this reason, for the work that God has started in you, that is real, that is true, that is evident, that is visible and vocal. We do not stop praying for you. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright said it this way, it is because of what God has already done that Paul can pray with confidence for what God will do. Some of you need to be reminded of that in your own life. You need to be reminded this morning, and I pray God's Spirit would do that even now of what God has already done in your life. Of the times when he has showed up in power and clarity as a result of your prayer. He doesn't always do that. He's God. He sees more than you and I see. He knows more than we know. But if you're a believer in here this morning, no matter how long you've been a believer, God has shown up in your life in ways that you can look back and remember. And God wants you to look back and remember. This is what Paul is doing here. He's saying, in light of this, I can pray with confidence for this. In light of what God has already done, I look forward to, with confidence, what God's going to do. It's Philippians 1.6. Paul says for the, uh, to the church in Philippi that he's confident of this very thing that the God who began a good work in them the God who, who birthed them into a church out of darkness and nothingness will continue his good work in them 
until the day of Christ Jesus, our Lord. I hope some of you will look back. Maybe some of you need to go home tonight. And before you go to bed tonight, you need to sit down, maybe in your journal or just on a piece of paper or in your phone, and you need, to, you need to ask God through his spirit to bring to your mind and your heart those instances of his faithfulness across your years of relationship with him. That you might be encouraged and your confidence renewed in God. This is what Paul is saying here when he says, for this reason, since they first heard, he and Timothy, we have not stopped praying for you. And then he says something about the content of his prayer. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. These, these three concepts of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding are not unique to Paul, but they are common to Paul. Let me uh, read to you a few verses from the book of Ephesians. Actually, two verses from Ephesians chapter one, verses 17 and 18. This kind of prayer uh, was very normal for Paul. He says to the church in Ephesus, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. If you turn over or back toward Colossians 1, book to chapter uh, 1 of Philippians, uh, we get this idea again in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. God, uh, God wants you to know him, not just in a sort of superficial, emotional way, but in an intellectual way that's able to receive and understand the great truths of God. And so have your emotion and your will stirred, your affections for God stirred because you know him. This is something of what happens when you fall in love. Um, I've been asked a few times across the years, like, how did I know Sharon was the one? I said, well, first of all, I married her. So she's the one. And then often I would say, I don't know that there was a one, but I know that in Christ's goodness and God's sovereign love, uh, Sharon and I found one another um, and God guided our relationship from there. But I do know this, that I started being interested in Sharon and just never quit, right? I'd always quit before. <laughs> uh, in fact, there was a young woman who shall remain anonymous, who I so badly wanted to date in high school. I pursued her for so long, and then I got her, right? And then eight months later, I was bored to death. I was like, I've got to get out of this, um, right? But there's something that happens when love is real and genuine and true that's far more than a feeling. And when we come to know God, the New Testament says, we, we taste and see that he is good. And we, went, we want more. Um, I, I said some weeks back that Sharon and I went uh, on our first cruise back when I was in seminary with Royal Caribbean. And they had a dessert called a berry tart that I have been trying to find ever since. Um, 
And I tasted this berry tart and found that it was good. And then I found that I could get it anywhere as often as I wanted. And I bet I ate 75 berry tarts. I was younger then. I'd also run each night around the top deck. Um, But I ate as much of that as I could get. And part of what God knows is when you and I come to taste him, when you and I come to know him and know who he really is, not the false narratives that enter our life sometimes as we're younger about who he is. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But who he really is, that it stirs the affections of our hearts. That a God like that could love people like us. That a God like that in Christ could delight in people like us. But this is Paul's kind of praying over and over and over that God in his goodness and grace might open our hearts and our minds to know the truth to know how long and how wide and how deep is the love of Christ for us. And what Paul is getting at here in Colossians is a kind of godly knowledge. And he's setting that beside the kind of knowledge that the church in Colossae is battling. If you go back to the first message in this series, the whole reason Paul is writing this is that there's confusion bubbling up, that they've come to know Christ and know him through the fullness of truth in the gospel. And yet, their neighbors and their culture and their philosophers and friends and the guy across the street are telling them this and telling them that, and they're they're pulling pieces of this in, and it's becoming uh, confusing and muddled. And Paul is saying uh, that there's all of that that's based in human tradition and deception and a faulty foundation, but there's a kind of godly knowledge And Paul tells us something about this here. He says, first of all, that godly knowledge is a divine gift. Godly knowledge is a divine gift. It's not something that you can go down to the library and read, you know, God for dummies. And then suddenly know it all. It's a divine gift. It doesn't mean you and I don't respond to God and pursue him as a result of him pursuing us. But it is a gift. This is why Paul starts out, look back at verse nine. And he says, we continually ask God to fill you. He doesn't even say we we ask that you would be filled. It's a divine passive in its tense here. That you may be filled by God is actually what's written here. That we, we ask that you may be filled by God. God is the active agent in the dispensing of his knowledge to you, his people, in the dispensing of his knowledge to those who are walking in darkness. We've seen very clearly over the last weeks that you and I, outside of Christ, outside of the saving grace of God in the gospel, uh, in our own death and sin and trespasses, we don't even have the ability to understand our need. God has to take the initiative. Part of what it means that godly knowledge is a divine gift is that you and I can't work for it. You can't work for it. You know how many exhausted, unfun curmudgeons who claim the name of Christ are in the church because somehow they've understood the Christian life this way, saved by grace, and now I work real hard for God. I gotta do it got to get up early, read the Bible through every year. That's a great practice. But if doing it makes you more angry and judgmental, there's something about the way you're approaching it that's wrong. 
We can't work for it. We can't coerce God into giving us the kind of knowledge that, that Paul is praying. That's why he's praying for it. That's why he's interceding on behalf of the Colossians, that God might do in them what only God can do. And this knowledge of God that God gives us precedes, precedes any kind of good works in our life. It precedes any kind of seeking of God, any kind of running after God. That's why it'll be a little while before we get to the so that. There's always a so that. That's why the earlier chapters of Paul's letters, you always spend more time going through because they're theologically dense, but so important before you get to the ethical or moral parts um, in the latter half of most of Paul's letters where we're working out the implications of how this truth manifests itself in the way that we live day in and day out. Godly knowledge is a divine gift. Um, keep looking at verse nine. Keep looking at verse nine. He says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will, the knowledge of his will, which we'll talk about in just a second, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit, that the Spirit gives. Do you notice this continual, continual cyclical dance in Paul's thinking between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is, is the, the, the active part of the Godhead that is stirring up this knowledge in us through wisdom and through understanding. What Paul is saying is that the Holy Spirit is actively at work in our discerning and our grasping the great truths of God. The Holy Spirit is actively at work in your discerning as you read Scripture. As you spend time with other believers in groups and Sunday school classes, at LM Institute, and you're being taught and we're discussing things. It's the Holy Spirit working in you that opens your mind to understand, that gives you insight, that helps you discern what is of God and what is not of God, that helps you discern the movement of God. Godly knowledge is a divine gift. Paul prays for it and then he acknowledges that it is given to us through wisdom, through wisdom and through insight that comes from the Holy Spirit. Again, it's given to us. It is a gift. But godly knowledge also, it's not only a divine gift, but its content is Christ. Godly knowledge has Christ at its center. Not you and not me. We are not the center of the gospel message. We are not the center of scripture. Whenever you and I become the center of anything, our own story, our own narrative, the lives of the people around us, we become miserable and we make other people miserable. We are not meant to be the center. The Bible is not primarily about us. It is primarily about God, about his goodness, about his redemptive plan, about his creation and his glory. That's why Paul says here um, in verse nine, that he's not just asking God to fill you with knowledge, some kind, of, uh, uh, some kind of esoteric knowledge, but knowledge of his will. Knowledge of his will. And if we could look at all of Paul's writing here and how he uses this phrase about God's will, you, you would find this, that what Paul's talking about is an understanding of God's whole saving purpose in Jesus Christ. Not his individual will for you, but the ultimate sovereign will of God. The understanding of God's whole salvation 
and whole saving purpose in Christ and all that means for the universe. You see that in verses 15 through 20 of Colossians chapter one and all that that means and that ultimately he means for his church. You see that in verses 21 through 23, that Christ is at the center. Paul's theology, uh, when he talks about God's will or the knowledge of God's will, has this in mind, our calling, our calling out of darkness into light, our calling out of those who are simply in Adam to those who are in Christ. Salvation and adoption as sons and daughters of God. The missional plan of God to include the Gentiles into the people of God. This was stunning in Paul's day. That God had in mind to carve out from all nations, every tribe and tongue, ethnicity and race, every color and creed of people, a people to be his. A single race to belong to God himself in and through Jesus Christ. Paul has in mind the reconciliation of all things to God. Not just a people, but God's world and all that's been lost and marred because of sin. And Paul has in mind here the moral vision for God's people, how it is that you and I live once we have been grasped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should live differently. In fact, I would I would go so far as to say, when we look at the gospel as we find it in the New Testament, when there's been true conversion, you and I can't help but live differently. There's something beyond us that's at work in us. I haven't, I haven't decided to follow Jesus. God has decided to save me in and through Jesus Christ. And he has done so. And something has changed in me. Jesus would say, as he did to Nicodemus, and we talked uh, last week about it, that, that I've been born again. Not just a, a birth of flesh, but a birth of and by and through the Spirit of God. Godly knowledge has Christ at its center. And godly knowledge leads to life change. This is what we're talking about here, but Paul, uh, Paul lays it out here. Godly knowledge leads to life change inevitably and always. Inevitably and always. Um, Erwin McManus in a book that came out in the early 2000s called An Unstoppable Force about um, the, the revolutionary movement-centered nature of the true church says that the radical transformational faith we see of the people in the New Testament is actually the normal faith that God calls his people to live with and makes available to us through the power of his spirit. Look what Paul says here about this knowledge. He says in verse nine that it's a divine gift. He says that it has Christ at its center in the will of God. And then he goes on. And in verse 10, he says, we're given this knowledge by God through the spirit so that you, and again, this is plural, you all, you guys, y'all, youans, whatever. I'm gonna pause here, it makes me think. When we were coming back, from Tennessee where I tangled with the mountain and the mountain one um, skiing. We were coming back and we, we pulled into a Sonic somewhere in some little town uh, in Tennessee and we're getting some drinks and some food. Um, and we needed some ranch or something. So I did the little buzzer. Hey, can you bring out some ranch? Sure. This, this young guy brings out, the, the dude's, I mean, he's in his probably early 20s, maybe mid 20s. He, he hands it to me. I said, thanks a lot. He said, yep, y'all have a good one. 
And I immediately thought, how does one spell Gooden? Um, Gooden. But Ewan's, Paul is saying to us, so that you all may together as a community of Christ followers live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Listen to me. Do you believe that's possible? You should believe it's possible. Paul is saying here, that through the work of God and the Holy Spirit in our lives, it is possible for you and I not to not sin. We're, we're going to sin, right? But that's been forgiven. Um, it's important that you know that God didn't let you off the hook for your sin. He simply punished your sin in Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, your sin has come before God and the wrath of God has been poured out on it. Your sin has been punished in full. Christ took it on himself and it is finished. That's why you're free. That's why God can give you his righteousness through Christ in place of your sin. Because Christ not only took your sin and it was punished by God on the cross in Christ's atoning death in his broken body and shed blood. But Christ's righteous life is then attributed to you. Doesn't mean that you are righteous yet, but it does absolutely mean that God has declared you righteous. And through the Holy Spirit is sanctifying you and changing you little by little, year by year, as you follow Christ Jesus. Paul says, so that, all this has happened so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Paul says, you and I are a new people. We're a new creation. New creation has broken in and we are fruits of that and evidence of that. We live different lives. We have different values. We understand money differently, love differently, relationships differently, races differently, marriage differently, friendship differently, on and on and on. We could go our vocation differently. Godly knowledge leads to life change. And Paul goes on to flesh this out and he says, this is what this life change looks like that we bear fruit in every good work, that we are growing in the knowledge of God, that we're being strengthened. And in verse 12, that we're giving joyful thanks. I'm gonna save verse 12 and 11 for next week. But look at what Paul says here in verse 10, because there is a cyclical nature to what it means to be growing in our knowledge of God. Paul starts this out and he prays that God will fill us with the knowledge of his will, this Christ-centered knowledge so that we may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. <clears throat> and part of what that looks like is that we're bearing fruit in every good work. We're doing that which uh, God has called us to in Christ. And we're growing, we're growing in the knowledge of God. There's a sense in which uh, Paul bookends what he's doing here with the knowledge of God. That as we're following God, as we're living lives of change and transformation by the power of Holy Spirit, part of what that looks like is, is growth in our knowledge of God. The more we know him, the more we live for him. The more we live for him, the more we're coming to know him. But, well, before I say that, let me say this. There's a paradox of grace that we see here. And you often see this in Paul. God is at work, therefore, God's people are at work. Is God at work or are we at work? Yes. 
Yes, it's a kind of divine dance, yet God is always leading. When you try to lead, you mess it up. I won't ask you to raise your hand if your dancer's in here. Not for idiotic traditional reasons, but whatever, I'm gonna get in trouble here. Um, but I will say this, if you've ever danced, both of you can't lead, it doesn't work that way. Someone leads, and can I tell you, in this paradox of grace where God is at work and the people of God are at work, God is always leading. We are at work because God is at work and we are his people. Don't ever get this out of order. Don't ever get this out of order. There's a real danger here in getting the so that before what Paul said before. Paul's pleading with God to do what only God can do in your life. So that out of the work of God in your life, your life is different. Day by day, you're gonna have bad, you're gonna have bad years. It's part of why Paul talks about endurance and patience. That's part of why, aside from just being completely biblically wrong, uh, the prosperity gospel is such hogwash. You ever know anybody that just never had any issues? That was older than three or four? I got three-year-olds. They got tons of issues. <laughs> Sinful to the core. My only hope for them is Christ. <laughs> Let me just say this. That there are, with regard to this danger, there are two primary ways that, that people see God. And if you're careful and you listen, you'll hear this. And, and I'm afraid that all too often, uh, those of us who've been in church the longest are more tempted to see God this first way, which is unbiblical and wrong way, based on our upbringing and things like that. But, but the first way is that uh, people see God is in the heavens, almighty, all-powerful, and he cannot wait to judge you. He wants to destroy you. Is he willing to save? Yes, but he longs to judge. That's what really delights him. All the commands in the Bible are given because he holds the keys to heaven and hell, and you better do what he says or he's gonna send you to hell. Can I just tell you, that's, that's not the gospel, right? That, that would not be good news about who God is. And I'll tell you this, you can't follow him anyway. How many of you could live up to just the 10 commandments? Perfectly. No, you could probably not murder most of the time. Except in your heart. Um, maybe you cannot steal. Most of us broke that at some point in our younger years and so on and so forth. But the Ten Commandments were given by God as good and right and beautiful fruit so that we might know we need him, that, that there are ways that God has created human beings to live. So there's this way, but there's also another primary way that people see God. And this is the biblical way, that God is after worship, not begrudging obedience. God is after worship, hearts that delight in him. Hearts that find him more beautiful and joyful than anything else. He's reconciling a people to himself and the entire world from the grip and consequences of sin. Setting us free to love him and worship him and joyfully obey what he commands us because we know that the commands of God are good and right and they lead us into life. Like God's not hoarding the good life from you where if you could just throw off your restraints and get wild, you'd have a lot of fun. You might for about seven minutes, but that lifestyle wreaks quite a havoc on you. And the result of this understanding of God is that our lives bring glory to God 
And God brings joy to us. God's glory and your joy are, are not competing factors. They're bound up in understanding who God really is. That in Christ, he is for you because you belong to him. True knowledge always leads you there. It leads you to wonder and awe that the God of all creation knows you intimately, knows every thought you're having this morning, every fear, every hope and desire, every wound, every insecurity. And the spirit of God is working in you. As the band makes their way out here and begins to prepare to, to lead us in a time of response and reflection. I really challenge you um, this morning to just lay yourself before God and say, God, whatever you want of me, my answer is yes, I love you. Let the Spirit stir in me. Bring to mind anything. God, that I'm holding on to and trying to fix myself instead of just releasing it to you. So that as Paul says here, I might receive by your grace and your goodness a deeper knowledge of who you are, of your great truths revealed in Christ. Thanks so much for joining us online at the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us.